Welcome, friends. This is episode 64 of the Syracuse Sports Podcast. My name is Brent Dax. It is great to have you here. We've got a great guest lined up today. Always enjoy talking college hoops with this guy, especially with a pretty big college basketball game on the horizon here in Syracuse, New York. ESPN college basketball analyst Jay Billis will be our guest today. We'll talk Syracuse Duke, the college basketball landscape, Jay's remembrance of Kobe Bryant and the college basketball world's reaction to Kobe Bryant's death. We'll also talk to Jay about a subject he's been pretty passionate about and whose insight I appreciate more than anybody on, and that is the name-image-likeness debate that rages on in college sports. Jay's got some really strong thoughts on that that you'll want to hear coming up. So we're looking forward to talking to Jay. Looking forward to you listening to this podcast, however you take it in. You should subscribe if you don't. iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, just find Syracuse.com podcasts, hit that subscribe button. Not only will you get the Syracuse sports podcast you're listening to now, you'll get my Syracuse basketball game recap podcasts. We do a live chat on Facebook after every Syracuse basketball game, and we put that in podcast form for you. The Syracuse football podcast, the Buffalo Bills beat with Matt Perino as well. Lots of great content for you. Just hit Syracuse.com podcasts, subscribe, and you're all set. Here's something that strikes me about the Syracuse-Duke game coming up on Saturday. While it's the social event of the winter in central New York and an in-demand ticket, though not a record-setting in-demand ticket this year, it's just a game. Last year's Duke game had so much surrounding it that the game got pushed aside. Of course, there was the tragedy involving Coach Beheim and Jorge Jimenez, the gentleman he struck on a central New York highway on a Wednesday night following Syracuse's victory over Louisville. College Game Day, ESPN's grand television show, College Game Day, was supposed to be here, but canceled its appearance. The game, even with a record-setting crowd of 35,000-plus, took on a somber tone. People wondered if Jim Beheim would even coach in that game. He did. And remember, this was a game that Syracuse was playing Duke the second time around, having beat the number one Blue Devils earlier in the season in overtime, 95-91. to Now, Zion Williamson did not play in that game against Syracuse at the Dome, but it was Duke nonetheless and a Duke victory. And it was still a Syracuse basketball season that went on to the NCAA tournament. This game takes on the tone of simply being a big game. Syracuse has treaded water in the ACC a lot better than, frankly, I thought they would, particularly the struggles that they had in the interior in those games, and I just didn't think they had the roster to compete, even in an ACC that's down this season. But Syracuse has done everything it has needed to do. They've treaded water. They are in fourth, fifth, sixth place in the ACC. They're putting themselves in the discussion for the NCAA tournament, but something that Syracuse still needs to be taken seriously in that conversation, even in a wild and unpredictable college basketball season, and we know the month of February is going to be wild to watch with bracketology back in our lives. But Syracuse needs big wins, and they've got three big fish that they can pull out of the water in February. The first one is Duke on Saturday with Florida State and Louisville, also top 10 teams coming up on the schedule in the month of February. But what about Duke? this Blue Devils team coming in. Vernon Carey Jr. is not Zion Williamson, but he's darn good. A top 10 NBA draft pick and somebody that Syracuse is going to have a lot of problems with in the paint, considering Tuesday night's loss to Clemson when Tevin Mack, a six foot six guard swingman, got into the paint 
scored 22 of his 32 points in the second half, gave the Syracuse defense fits, and eventually Marek Doljai and Barama Sidibe fouled out of that game with plenty of time left in it. They'll have to really disperse their fouls smartly with a player like Vernon Carey Jr., in the paint. Trey Jones is one of the best guards in the country, period. One of the best defensive guards in the country. I wonder if he's going to harass young Joe Girard in the biggest game of his freshman year at Syracuse, or if he'll be put on Buddy Beheim to slow down his three-point shooting. Wendell Moore Jr. has been out a few games for Duke, but he should be back for Saturday's matchup against the Orange and Hillhound Elijah Hughes on the offensive end. Duke still has AOC, no, not that AOC, Alex O'Connell looming, who can hit from the three-point line, but maybe not quite the defender he needs to be. Cassius Stanley, an electric young player for Duke as well. Look, you know the Blue Devils are loaded. They've got three or four draft picks, the best players in the country, like they always have. Yet, this has been a college basketball season, as Jay Billis is about to tell us. We're not one team has stood out. There's no such thing as a dominant team in college basketball. Just go back to earlier this week. While Syracuse was losing a close one to Clemson, Duke had a big lead against Pittsburgh that they gave up at Cameron Indoor. And as we've seen through the years, John Gillen's buzzer beater, the Jim Beheim coat game, C.J. Fair down the stretch, Syracuse's win at Cameron a year ago when Tyus Battle went off. There is something about when Syracuse and Duke get on the same floor that you truly do throw out records, trends, rankings, and these two just seem to play great games. High-scoring games, back-and-forth games. And while it's not a record-setting crowd at the Dome on Saturday, it's still going to be over 32,000 people. In the event they've all been waiting for, the game they've all been waiting for. So live it up, party it up. It's another late-night start in Syracuse, an 8 o'clock tip time. It doesn't have the big event feel to it that maybe some games in the past have. But it's still very much a big game, a month of February that will determine how serious Syracuse is in the NCAA tournament conversation. A win over Duke will vault them right into it. Well, let's hear from a guy whose knowledge on college basketball I respect more than anybody. Jay Billis, ESPN College Basketball. He's our guest here on the Syracuse Sports Podcast. Let's listen. Jay, it's great to have you back here on the Syracuse Sports Podcast. And, you know, we're, we're looking at that Syracuse-Duke game coming up and college basketball, but it's hard not to think about Kobe Bryant and his family and that tragedy and its effect on, you know, really the whole sports world, in particular the basketball world. You know, when, when you think of Kobe and, and his legacy and, and maybe some personal interactions that you had with him, what, what are the things that come to mind? Well, Kobe Bryant was, uh, was and remains a global icon. Uh, and and key word there is global. Uh, I don't I don't know that any other player uh, had had reached quite the status that he had as a global icon and had uh, really increased that uh, after he had had stopped playing and had stayed you know so visible and relevant in so many different areas of life. Uh, so really really a remarkable a remarkable forty one years on this planet. And especially for the younger player, uh, the, the players who are in the NBA now in college, because he straddled uh, in his career a number of the players that are in the, the league now that have had some longevity and then influenced so many that were growing up. I mean, so many now in the NBA don't remember Michael Jordan as a player. They remember Kobe Bryant. 
and that's their touchstone uh, for uh, the best player uh, in in the game. And uh, and then you know for for especially the game that you've got coming up, uh, Duke and Syracuse for Coach K and and Jim Beheim. Uh, you know they they coached Kobe and uh, their families uh, knew him uh, very well. So the, his his uh, reach goes far beyond you know not only in the game but far beyond the game. And I don't think I I can recall. A, uh, a response to a, a tragedy, not that you try to compare these things, but, but it, it's almost inevitable that your mind goes there. The, the only one, I, I, I can't match anything like this in, in sport. The only thing in my lifetime that, that uh, came to mind was when John Lennon was, uh, was killed in, in 1980 when I was in high school, and the, the response to that, which was, you know, it had a, a very similar feel to it. Uh, and and global in, in reach. It was amazing to see the reaction on so many different ways at the college level. How many kids this week have been already were doing this, but have you know worn the Kobe shoes and and just given him a a tribute in some way. And and, and somewhere from a basketball standpoint, where my mind went, Jay was so when Kobe comes into the NBA you know, 17, going on 18 years old. This was at a time when the one-and-done rule didn't exist, and now we're it's it's interesting how it comes full circle because the one-and-done rule is on its way out, and we're going to see more players try and take that Kobe Bryant route where maybe they don't have to go to college for that one year to get that exposure and get what they need to do to build a pro career. Yeah, one-and-done rule wasn't necessary back then because nobody did that. Nobody did that. Uh, Kobe came out in 96, so really the first ones to do it were – you know, Kevin Garnett, Kobe was was uh, was right there. Um, so it's, but it was really unusual. And in fact, when he stood up um, and had that press conference, uh, it, it it sounded so odd at the time for an 18 year old year old young man to sound, you know, that confident. And uh, now you look back on it, and and, and it it was prescient, you know. And, and I think you would hear something similar now from any player. That is standing up having a press conference saying I'm going straight from high school into the NBA. But back then it sounded like, it sounded like a pipe dream in a way. Um, so he was he was definitely uh, uh, ahead of his time in a lot of uh, a lot of different ways. Jay, as as you've gone through this year, your travels, the games that you've called, and covering the sport, I just wanted to ask you: It has been a wild college basketball season, and here we're about to flip over to the month of February when things are really going to get intense. Here as we try and sort out what the NCAA tournament field looks like, but just what's the best way you can describe this college basketball season we've watched so far? Yeah, it's uh, the best way I can come up with it is just that there's a lack of dominant teams. And it doesn't mean that the teams out there aren't good. They're good. Uh, some are, are very good, but nobody's dominant. And uh, and really, the the only teams that have set themselves apart have been more, the, the most consistent. And uh, and that's usually not the case. Usually, you have teams that that you're like, whoa, uh, it's going to take something to beat those guys. And, and every team you look at this year, you're going, well. Um, they're beatable. I mean, I could see them bowing out early in the tournament. There's, there's really nobody I've, I've seen this year. I'm going, well, well, th- I mean, they're a surefire elite eight team or final four team. I mean, I always, I always liken it to, uh, or, 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 you know, use, uh, 2015 and, and saying like, you know, that we've had other years where you knew who the best team was. I don't know who the best team is. And I don't think anybody does. There isn't one. There's just the best team 
right now, you know, there's not, you know, or t- today, there's not, there's not the, the best team period. But in 2015, you know, it, it wasn't much past November, early December. You're going, all right, do Kentucky is the best team. Uh, Duke and Wisconsin, unless they have a, unless they, you know, have a flat tire on the way to the stadium, they're all at the final four. Um, you know, it would take something extraordinary for any of these teams to, to, to lose and, and before the final four. And, and that's exactly what we got. You knew, um, you have no idea. This is like 2010 or 2011 where, uh, you know, you, you really had no clue throughout the course of the year who the best teams were. I mean, in 2011, UConn won it with Kemba Walker and they were nine and nine in the big, East. All right. And, uh, uh, and the big East was obviously a different league back then. But in 2010, um, you know, I, I don't think I remember the same kind of discussion. Like nobody, you don't really have a quote unquote great team. And then uh, you know, the Final Four had Butler in it, and and, uh, and Duke wound up winning it. And I think if you you know put Coach K under you know uh, truth serum, he would he would say that of all the championship teams I've had, this was the one I thought was the longest shot <laughs> to win it, and right. they won it. Uh, so uh, you know, who knows? I mean, it'll be it should be a lot of fun. But when people always say, "Hey, what's best for college basketball?" like there, like there's something best for it. The 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 ratings show people prefer dominant dominant teams. And just like in golf, is Tiger Woods good for golf? Well, the answer is hell yes, he is. And you found out when he wasn't playing for a while that people aren't as interested when when quote unquote anybody can win. Uh, they want to watch people. You know, they want to watch teams and people dominate and and see if not only if they can do it. And usually it's the name brands, but they want to see if somebody can knock them off. Uh, and for some reason, that's that's the way that's the way it seems to work. So if the teams are described that way, I think inevitably the players would be described that way too. Maybe there's not a force of nature out there this year like there was in Zion Williamson last year, and, and one that we thought we were going to see, of course, was ruled ineligible in, in James White Weitzman at, at, at Memphis, but. Is that how you would describe some of the better players out there? A lot of really good players, but maybe no standout woe type of player. To use that expression again, I, I'm not sure I would go that far. I think there are some great players out there that are going to have great, you know, sort of great careers uh, at the next level and this level. It's just that they're not playing at the name brands. You know, I, I'm sure you've seen all these guys, but like Obi Toppin at Dayton is a lottery pick. He could be a top five pick. I mean, he's ridiculous. And I think he's been the player of the year thus far, but people don't see him as much because he's playing at Dayton. If he were at Duke, uh, that's all we'd be talking about is, is Obi Toppin. Um, you know, and, and Miles Powell is fantastic at Seton Hall. Jordan War at Louisville uh, is great. Luca Garza at, uh, at Iowa is having maybe the best year of any player in, in the country. Um, and then Marcus Howard is doing the same thing he's done year after year, which is you know score 50 in a game and average 26 or whatever he's averaging. And uh, you know there's some really good freshmen out there. I mean Isaiah Stewart of Washington is one of the best freshmen in the country, and uh, Jaden McDaniel's playing alongside him. There, there are all kinds of good players out there. You're going to see one uh, Saturday. Vernon Carey at Duke is really good. Um, but but we don't have sort of the there are a number of of the name brand teams that are down this year. Um, uh, you know, North Carolina's not North Carolina this year. UCLA is not very good. Uh, Indiana's good, but not really good. And, uh, and that, that's kind of going around a little bit. Um, and when that happens, you have a lot of people kind of scratching their heads going, you know, well, wait a minute. And look, football would, would have the exact same, if Alabama's not good in a given year or something like that, it's the same thing. 
Um, they, everybody says they don't want, you know, I'd like to see somebody else in there except Alabama and Clemson and all that. And then they're not in there and people don't watch as much. It's, it's, Jay, you brought up that Syracuse-Duke matchup. Vernon Carey, just one a special player that Syracuse will have to contend with. What, what's been the tenor of this Duke team so far? What is Syracuse uh, going to be dealing with on Saturday? Uh, a deeper Duke team, but not separation among uh, the players, if that makes sense. So you've got uh, a team, like take last year's Duke team, for example. They had uh, Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett uh, and Cam Reddish. And Williamson and, and Barrett averaged uh, – you know, 22, 23 points a game each. And so, you know, there wasn't any chance that absent foul trouble or, you know, 30 seconds before a long timeout that they were coming off the floor. They're not coming off the floor. This year, there's more of a recognized rotation because there's not that kind of separation. I don't think Duke's bench is that much better. It's just that they're playing more because their starters aren't as dominant as they were last year and demanding those minutes. And so they're, they play a little bit differently. They're, uh, they're much better defensively uh, than they were last year. They're not quite as explosive on offense, but they're, they're very good and score very efficiently. Um, and they've got a, a great point guard. I don't think they're a great three-point shooting team, but they can stretch it, uh, it, it with certain guys. And then they, they've got a much better sort of inside presence in uh, in Vernon Carey, so they're they're very good. They're formidable, uh, and and they really haven't lost much. Um, you know, they got beat by Stephen F. Austin, which was a little bit of a bizarre happening, uh, and then uh, they wound up getting clipped at Clemson, and then and then Louisville beat them at, at at Cameron. But other than that, they've been they've been pretty consistent at a high level. Jay, to go back to that great players discussion for a moment, from what you've seen of Elijah Hughes and the season he's having at Syracuse, where does he fit in that discussion amongst the great players in the country? He, Elijah's having a really good year. Um, he's a he's an excellent uh, shooter, and he didn't get off to a great start shooting the ball uh, this year, uh, but but has really sort of picked it up, and and he's so good. Like you know, Syracuse has guys that can make one on one plays. And so uh, they, they can be very difficult to guard in that way. Uh, Elijah, Elijah is the one, first and foremost, that can get his own. You know, Jim runs things for him, but it, but he can also make those individual plays and break it off. And then Buddy Bayhawk's one of the best shooters in the country. Uh, I can't remember what game it was I was watching. I was like, geez, he scored like 18 points in a row. It might have been Virginia Tech or something. He scored 18 points in a row. And I'm like, that doesn't happen very often. <laughs> so those two guys have green lights. And, and you know, a lot of coaches say they give a green light to a player, but they have legit green lights. And uh, and those green-lighted players are really hard to guard because they have no fear. They're, they know they're not coming out if they take a bad one. Jay, this is an interesting matchup from what you were saying about the, the players here. Syracuse has had an interesting run in that they did not pick up a win in non-conference of note. They lost all the games of significance in terms of the net ranking and everything the NCAA Tournament Selection Committee looks at. They've kind of treaded water in the ACC. They're there, kind of fourth, fifth place, kind of floating in there, but they need some big wins here. Hard to project because we're a month away here, but Duke, Florida State, and Louisville are all on the schedule for Syracuse. Do you feel like they've got to win maybe two out of those three to be in the NCAA tournament conversation? Well, I don't know about the conversation. I think they'll be in that. Um, if they don't win those, they better win everything else um, because they're you know they're they're running out of opportunities for high value targets. And and this is where the ACC and I'm, I know the coaches are going to push back on this, but 
you know, like when when we say the league is great, they don't question our judgment. The league is not as good this year as it's been. It's just not, and the numbers bear it out. Uh, so right now, uh, you know, beating Wake Forest and beating NC State and, and Georgia Tech and all, it doesn't help you. It just doesn't. And even beating North Carolina this year does not help. Uh, it, it obviously beating them doesn't hurt, but it doesn't help. And uh, so, so it's become more of a league like uh, like some others, where if you don't beat the top teams, people are going to question, well, how good could you really be? And and especially when you combine a slow start in non-conference, what you know, what do you have to point toward? And at the end of the like, this is a year where every, you know, the, I think the landscape overall hurts the ACC too, where everybody's going, well, everybody, can, anybody can win on a given day. You know, people seem to agree with that. And I don't say that very often. There are very few years I've ever said that. But if we believe that, that anybody can win on a given day, then you'd better have some given days. Like, where are your given days? Um, Because other teams have them. And if you don't have as many, um, it's going to be awfully hard to crack, you know, crack into that uh, uh, sort of that discussion about teams that should be in first. Because, like, I think Syracuse is going to be in the discussion but but then it comes down to well who gets in first and non-conference wins not going to get in first um, conference wins you know and and the committee says well it's the full body of work we look at full body of work well if that's true the non-conference shouldn't matter right it should be just your total number of good wins but the truth is they don't do that they 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 are advancing an agenda that they want people to go out and play people so if you don't play anybody. Uh, and don't beat anybody, they're going to hold it against you. There's no question. They showed that with NC State last year. And Jay, final question for you here. Boy, we could do a whole podcast on this, but I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about, you know, name, image, likeness, the NCAA's approach to that, where we're at with that. And I, I look at it with a, a healthy bit of skepticism that the NCAA is serious about this. Uh, let me just ask that. Where are we at with this? Do you think we're making progress? Do you think they're serious about addressing this, or are they still going to hold back as much as possible on it? They're, they're serious in addressing what they feel like addressing, which is nothing. Um, like, all you have to do is, is read. You don't even have to read between the lines. You just have to consider the rhetoric. And, you know, when Mark Emmert says, we would like to allow name, image, and likeness as long as it fits within the collegiate model. Right. Uh, first of all, collegiate model is a made-up term. It doesn't mean anything. But, but what they're really saying is, we would like to allow the players unlimited showers as long as nobody gets wet. <laughs> so that's what they're saying. And so they're not going to do this. And, and it's going to be up to... And, and you know, the, the idiocy of this, honestly, and I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm being blunt because I'm tired of this you know, sort of this lying about it, and that's all they're doing is lying. Um, it, it, it's idiocy to uh, to claim that, well, we can't have fair competition with, with 50 different states having their own laws. Well, they have 50 different tax laws. You know, nobody's out there saying that, well, my, good, my goodness, there's no state income tax in Florida and Texas. Uh, we can't have fair competition. If coaches are going to be able to choose where they go based upon taxes. That's ridiculous. One coach can make more money in Texas than they can make in New York. That's not fair. They don't do that. There are 50 different labor laws and 50 different employment laws, theoretically, 50 different construction laws for building the carrier dome and all these different. It's just absurd to suggest that. You know, the easy the easy solution here, while they say that we can't have all these different laws, okay, if you can't have all those different laws, all you have to do is say it's wide open for everybody. Uh, players can earn or accept whatever they want, just like every other student. 
And if any restrictions are going to be uh, be placed on anyone, they'll be placed on the institutions as to what they can uh, what they can pay out. In other words, if you want to say to an institution, you are not allowed to in the recruiting process uh, arrange name, image, and likeness deals for players. That's fine. Then it's on the school. But if a player has a name, image, and likeness deal, if the player isn't sanctioned at all. You know that that should be that they can make as much money or as little money as they want. That's their choice. Uh, just like every other student, no other student is told what they can earn or accept. No other employee, no other person. It's just an athlete. And uh, the solution is simple. But the fact that they will not that the NCAA and the member institutions will not uh, accept simple the simple solution shows that they don't want to do anything. And and you know it's a little sad in that regard. But it's it's almost like um, like I look at at this like uh, like back they, there was an ESPN 30 for 30 called Let Them Wear Towels uh, about uh, female journalists and women in the locker room and and you know back then everybody every male in journalism said not everybody but the overwhelming majority said this is doomsday uh, we can't have this this won't you know this will ruin everything and it was nonsense and it's the same sort of nonsense now. Um, that, that the NCAA is spewing out about name, image, and life. They say it will not ruin anything. It'll actually make competition better, and uh, and we can stop all this nonsense about the uh, scandal. And oh my God, it's a scandal! Somebody took five dollars or got a tattoo. It's a scandal. You know, we can finally get rid of all that stuff. Speaking of thirty for thirties, Jay, I really enjoyed the one you did about Duke and in the early days of, of Coach K and the team that you were on. You, you got a sequel in mind? You got another thirty for thirty idea in there? Yeah, I don't. I don't know if there's another sequel. The only thing I laughed about with that whole thing, and it was, you know, I, my involvement was just to make phone calls for people to sit down for interviews. But uh, but the title of it, you know, the class of Dave Coach K, I don't think he needed saving. But uh, but we'll get to meet him about it every time he says <laughs> so. We'll get to say, well, remember we saved. <laughs> if you know any coaches that need need saving? Just give us a call. We'll band together and save them. <laughs> Jay, always appreciate your time and your insight. Thanks for coming on the Syracuse Sports Podcast with us. Always a pleasure. It's great to be with you as usual. Thank you. Thanks again to Jay Billis for joining us here on the Syracuse Sports Podcast. And thanks to you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Find Syracuse.com podcasts. Hit subscribe and you'll get the Syracuse Sports Podcast that you just listened to. The Buffalo Bills beat. The Syracuse Football Podcast. Plus my Syracuse Basketball Game Recap Podcasts. My name is Brent Dax. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Brent Axe with your Syracuse Sports Headlines. Sean McDermott helped lead the Buffalo Bills to a 10-6 record in 2019. Before the start of the season, Las Vegas experts had Buffalo's win-loss total at 6.5, so it's fair to say that McDermott and the Bills greatly exceeded expectations this season. McDermott has been named a finalist for NFL Coach of the Year. The award will be given out Saturday night at the NFL Honors Award Show in Miami. The Syracuse lacrosse team had a great view of the rest of the NCAA field from its perch near the very pinnacle of the preseason rankings. Inside lacrosse was the latest to add weight to the Orange's expectations Wednesday, elevating Syracuse to number five. Syracuse University has sold upwards of 31,000 tickets to the Duke game when the Blue Devils visit the Carrier Dome for an 8 p.m. contest, and that number will likely grow. Last year, Syracuse set a record for the largest on-campus crowd in college basketball history when Duke played in the Carrier Dome.
Class of 2020 quarterback Dylan Markowitz committed to Syracuse football late Tuesday night. Markowitz, a senior at McKinney, Texas North High School, took an official visit to Central New York last week. He becomes the second quarterback pledged to the Orange in 2020, following Mississippi native Jacobian Morgan, who committed on Sunday. Those are your look at your Syracuse sports headlines. I'm Brent Axe.